Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 106, week 106, volume 106, number fucking 106. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Jameson from Arrival of Autumn, and that will be coming up later in the show. It's been a really, really quiet week on the music front. So there's no single of the week for this week. Album of the week, however, comes from Polaris. The album is titled The Death of Me. And this is the sophomore release for these guys, or technically sophomore full length. Polaris are Australia's hottest up-and-coming band. You could pretty much say hands down. I mean, the other one you could debate is also Alpha Wolf. Polaris are definitely pushing for big things with this release. Lots of sexy riffs, big breakdowns. It's exactly as you expect. It's not groundbreaking, it's not innovative, but it is massive. And this release will be massive, not only in Australia, but worldwide. If you haven't heard of Polaris, you definitely will after this album. I recommend everyone that likes a bit of metalcore to give this a go. The album's called The Death of Me, it's by Polaris, and it's out now. Let's now kick into feedback, questions, and what's been going on. What has been going on is a lot of shares. I see everyone out there sharing it, and they're doing it on a weekly basis. So everyone that's sharing the show, thank you so very, very, very much. Just to know that people listen to us, is amazing in itself, but then to know that people enjoy it and are willing to share it around to help the show grow, oh, words can't say enough, but thank you, everyone. That leads me into reminding you guys, like I have to every week, to help us out with shares. Shares are really simple to do, but are invaluable. It helps the word grow about the show, helps new listeners get into the show, And it shows us that you are enjoying what we're doing. So if you've got time this week, help us out with a share on your social medias. Give it a share on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The other thing you can do this week, if you've got some time, is give us a rating and review, either on our Facebook page or our iTunes podcast page. All of that goes into algorithms, which helps the show get out to more listeners. Enough of my ramblings, let's get into the main part of the show. This week I got to sit down with Jameson of Arrival of Autumn. Thank you so very, very, very much dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So the band, in case you aren't aware of who they are before we get into the chat, they're a Canadian band that were formed in 2011. They've had one EP and two LPs. Their most recent release was Harbringer, which came out in 2019. Jameson used to do guitar and vocal duties. He now just handles the vocal duties. This band is exciting modern metalcore. So I was excited to get him on the show. It was a great chat, in-depth, lots of great topics touched. That chat with Jameson is coming up now. So I start off with usually the same question, and that is, do you remember a band or an artist 
that you discovered at a young age that wasn't necessarily heavy metal, but it kind of started your excitement for music as something that existed? Yeah, it was kind of a mix-up. I guess the first record I ever bought was uh, Three Days Grace 1X. Ooh. And, yeah, totally not a metal record at all. (laughs) But, uh, damn, I must have been 11 or 12 when that record came out. And uh, it was, you know, edgy at the time uh, to be that age and digging three days grace. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was the first record I ever bought. And, you know, it definitely got me excited about angry music. And then hybrid theory by Lincoln park came along not long after that. And that was just a whole new world for me. That was, that was crazy. So what you mentioned edgy music. So, you know, for you as a kid, were were you a bit on the rebellious side? Were did you have a lot of angst? Like, what about this kind of aggressive music brought you into it as being something you enjoy? I think it was because of my religious upbringing, so it was kind of taboo, and I was young and just simply listening to music that had swearing in it, or or talked about or, or had lyrical content about you know, anger and stuff like that was attractive to me because it was something I wasn't familiar with. And I was now able to, uh, you know, venture out of my box a little bit (laughs) and listen to some, some real music that had value. So, I mean, religious household. So what was the reaction from family when they noticed that, you know, suddenly they're their boys listening to music that's got swearing in it and not singing about something, you know, I don't mean not wholesome enough, but you know what I mean? It's not really exactly what they want you to be listening to. (laughs) Yeah, no, they were cool. They trusted me to, um, I guess just find myself a little bit and what I was into. And, and so that, uh, yeah, they were actually pretty cool about that. And then, yeah, they, they didn't really, try and control too hard what I listen to. Um, but it was before streaming and stuff. So if I couldn't find the record or somehow get it from a friend, I didn't really have access to everything that was out there either. So it, it was, uh, it was cool. It was casual and, uh, yeah, gotta, gotta give them that. They were really open to me getting into heavier music. So, you know, you grew up, um, you're in a town in Alberta, Canada, is that correct? Yeah, it's basically the largest city uh, north of Edmonton, but it still doesn't have more than like 100,000 people in it. So it's pretty small and we are pretty isolated. It's quite a ways to Edmonton, which is the capital of Alberta. And what's it like for you? What was it like for you up growing up there with musical discovery? Because you know streaming hasn't quite fully kicked off yet. So you know you you find bands like Three Day Grace and Lincoln Park. But then, what's it like for you to then take that to the next level? Was it easy to get new music and discover new music, or did it take a lot of effort to find the next band that you loved? It probably 
I'm not sure what the timeline was, but not long after, uh, I had some cousins who showed me uh, System of a Down and Disturbed and Metallica are a big three that I remember uh, being shown back when I was still young. And and then uh, the Black Album became like my favorite record when I was 12 or 13. And so without without those cousins showing me the way, it would have been a long time before I really found my my love for metal music because they like disturbed was super heavy and then i think they showed me um demon hunter Hmm. was the first band with screaming that i got into which is still on the christian side but at least it's metal right (laughs) it is i mean it was also that would have been probably that time frame also was when a lot of the faith-based bands were very prevalent in the scene not to say they're not prevalent now but there was a lot of them around like demon hunter were one of the the top of the game but there was a lot at the time were you um at that time really also gearing towards the faith metal were you getting into that i think demon hunter and pod were the only bands like that that i really got into because metallica was just so fantastic that it was like they took a lot of my attention and then um, eventually bullet for my valentine came around they became my favorite band for quite some time uh when i was starting to write my own songs and stuff and that definitely uh helped build the aoa sound uh was was more of a bullet for my valentine um who else would i have been listening to a lot back then I guess, yeah, a lot of Bullet, Metallica, and Demon Hunter off the start. Now, in your town, you know, you're saying without kind of like the assistance of relatives, you probably wouldn't have discovered some bands. So was there a local music scene in the town? Like, were bands coming to play? Were there local bands playing? Like, was there that for you in your backyard? Yeah, actually, that was crazy. I was 12. Uh, it was a band in town called Elijah's Tomb. There's a guy in town. He runs audio at our best live music bar, like where all the best shows happen. He runs audio. He's ran our audio for years, and he's like the best in the city. And I came across his band when I was 12, and my dad took me to their show at this theater downtown. So I saw my first local gig when I was pretty young, and then I performed for the first time in the scene when I was uh, 16. So there was quite a gap before I actually became a part of the scene, but I was pretty fortunate to find it early on and be like, wow, this is possible. You can start a band, you can, you know, put out a record and in, in, you know, the middle of nowhere. (laughs) So that was pretty cool. (laughs) What about with, uh, you know, you mentioned starting to write your own music and stuff. So what was your transition like? with instruments and writing music you know what did you start with how did you go about it and were lessons part of the thing or was it a lot of it self-taught uh lessons were definitely a thing when i was learning guitar at a young age uh also around 11 12 years old and i would learn uh i think green day songs and 
uh, like smoke on the water, of course. And then one of my teachers taught me master of puppets. That was pretty cool. Um, so I started messing around with writing, you know, really silly songs from a really young age. I would just write silly stuff and have fun with it. And then I think I tried to write my first serious song when I was like 14 and it's just terrible. (laughs) But uh, that was around the time that me and Brendan started uh, playing music together and, uh, and writing songs and then covering uh, like Metallica songs and Bullet songs. So did you always do, I mean, I know anyone that knows the band, which we'll, we'll get to um, when we get there, but were you always looking to be a guitarist and singer or were you looking to just be guitarist when you started playing instruments? Uh, I was always looking at being guitar and singer, um, mostly because of James Hetfield for sure. And then I did that until until we wrote Harbinger because it just got too too good. It got too technical. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it was it was really fun though. It's a great way to learn how to uh, play tight. I think in a band setting is is doing both of those at the same time. Just like, you learn how to play to a, a click really well that way. Well, it's not easy to do also. I mean, you, you think about it, it's hard enough playing the fucking guitar on its own. I mean, if you're trying to remember what's next in the song, but also you're trying to remember what to sing next, um, it's not simple. Yeah, it it honestly felt simple not to be <laughs> um, <laughs> arrogant about it, but it, it came really naturally and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, every now and then it's... Uh, it's something I miss doing, but I love running around with a mic like a madman. That is that is way more fun. So starting out with guitar, when, you know, every kid, whether they're wanting to be a singer or a guitarist or a drummer or a bass player, whatever it is, they usually have someone they look up to and aspire to be like. Um, was yours Hetfield, these kind of guys with guitar? Like who was your person you looked to and said, if I can achieve and be like them, then I'm happy. Yeah, definitely. Probably a tie between Hetfield and, and Matt Tuck. Hmm. A mix between angry and emo. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about with your singing? How did you go with singing and, and learning techniques? Because... Um, Nowadays, for anyone that's starting a band now, it's very simple to find how to develop your voice, develop your technique. So what was it like for you to learn to get to where you are today? Well, I guess it was just a lot of consistency. I'd never really had a vocal coach, um, except for when we entered the studio for Harbinger. I did a few lessons. Uh, with Melissa Cross, which was really awesome. And that's when I really, I think, leveled up the most. But earlier on, I would, you know, just kind of scream and then I'd be in pain and then I'd be like, okay, let's try tweaking the technique a little bit. And then if we would go play multiple shows, I would be just destroyed afterwards. I remember our first tour, which uh, was like 10 days or something, I lost my voice instantly and got terribly sick and just had to still 
do the whole thing and it was just terrible. So you learn how to sing and then you also learn how to sing day after day and they're kind of two different things completely. So just a lot of trial and error really. And, uh, uh, like listening to yourself back is major because even when you think you've got it, it's like, ah, damn, I don't have it. (laughs) Have you always been comfortable with listening back to your voice or is it something that, uh, doesn't bother you or does it bother you? Because that's also something that must take a bit of time, um, to adjust to is hearing yourself. Yeah, it doesn't bother me anymore, but it used to for sure. Uh, I don't think I was happy with the way I sounded until maybe we, maybe we're a band for three or four years until I was like, okay, now I'm finally a passable vocalist. And I was just kind of hoping no one would call me out on it until then. (laughs) (laughs) Just be like, just ignore it guys. Just ignore it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. He'll get it guys. Come on. Just believe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What about, you know, with you coming into your last years of high school, you know, you mentioned that you kind of, started doing stuff, you know, around 16, give or take a few years there. And, you know, what was it like for you at school? Were you solely focused on music as a career or was there something else that, you know, you were really focused on for your career going forward? Uh, Well, I basically, for my last year of school, I took a uh, rap course, which is where you get basically 50% of your credits by doing uh, like actual clocked in work in a work environment. Mm. Um, and basically I was registered as a mechanic apprentice and I was kind of, you know, pushing a broom in a shop, uh, that my dad managed. And so that was kind of interesting. I still work at that place, um, as my day job. And now I'm in the parts department, which is way more my cup of tea as far as just clocking in, doing what needs to be done and getting out of there. Um, so I guess I always have just had a means of accomplishing music, but I mean, there was never really like college was never on the, on the table pursuing something that would take more effort than pursuing music was never on the table. It was always like, okay, I have a sick job right now. I'm making enough money where I can support the band and myself. Let's just keep playing shows and getting better at ma- making music. And, and that was kind of always uh, plan A. Mm. Um, now let's talk about the formation of arrival of autumn. Um, it was around, you know, around the 2010-ish ballpark. Um, how did it all come about? How did it form? And was it easy to find people who had the same aspirations and passions as you in such a small town? Honestly, I feel still that the way me and Brendan and Ty came together is just a, such a rare occurrence especially for being in a town like this and none of us went to school together uh none of us were me and brendan were neighbors is how we met so that was just pure coincidence we were you know 13 14 
Uh, we both got our first guitars at the same time. I taught him how to read guitar tabs over the phone. And then he became a way better guitar player than me, like really fast. <laughs> so me and Brendan met uh, when we were like, yeah, like 13, started playing guitar together. And then when I was 16, uh, basically the goal was get your driver's license so you can drive to band practice and join a band to practice with. So I joined this uh, thrash band as the bass player when I was 16, basically like the day I turned 16 and got my driver's, it was set. And we had, I don't know, two or three drummers that we went through pretty quick in that band, but then eventually uh, we found Ty on, I think, Kijiji or something, which is like Craigslist. Um, just looking for any metal band or anyone that wants to jam metal, we were like, okay, cool. Here's this kid uh, who's a drummer. Let's see what he's up to. And and so me and Ty were in this thrash band. We were 16 and 17. That was the summer of 2010. Um, and we were in that band for a few months uh, until early 2011, which is when we were like, we don't want to play cheesy thrash anymore. We want to play like real heavy metal, like, you know, some, some really fun shit. And so we, uh, recruited Brendan and our other buddy who was also named Ty. And that was it. That was early 2011. And we named the band after an Opeth lyric and away we went. Mm. <laughs> what were the, um, what were the goals like when you initially set out? Because it wasn't too long after, you know, you finally got everyone together that you guys released Endless Nights. So what was the goal at the time for you guys starting out? Was it just play as many shows as possible or were there bigger goals already at that stage? Definitely play as many shows as possible and as many you know, different cities as possible. So I think in that first year we played three cities outside of our own and a good handful of shows. And we had become friends with another musician in town who had a bit of a recording studio set up. And uh, he was kind of a, kind of like a really, what's the word for just like a natural born talent. <laughs> he was <laughs> just a wizard. Um, so he uh, offered to record a few songs for us, which became the Endless Nights EP. And that was, yeah, within the first year of becoming a band, we didn't really waste any time. We just uh, got after it, which was, which was nice because there was at that time uh, a pretty good scene in town, like a lot of other metal bands. So we were able to, I think, yeah, our first show was with uh, opening for the guy who produced Endless Nights, his band. And then there was another two or three metal bands that would do shows every few months that we were able to hop on. And uh, we just had some really random opportunities, like this uh, music store company from Edmonton throws this battle of the bands kind of thing. I don't know if I haven't heard of them doing it since the one we participated in, but that was one of the first shows we played in our town was uh, this Axe music battle of the bands and then we met a bunch of other dudes who were into playing metal and it's just every show you play you meet more like-minded people and it's crazy how how fast you can 
you know, make contacts and just keep playing more shows when you make those, those connections. And it's, uh, it was awesome. We were just super excited that it was, you know, that we were just playing in front of a handful of people and that we could just do that was so cool. Did the, was he, the reason for the EP so quick out of the gates was, was that also a way of assisting you guys in getting more shows and getting a few more fans to the shows? Like, were you gaining momentum around this stage with a few shows? Were you kind of noticing the same faces at the shows? You know, what was, what was that like for you guys in the early stage? In the early stage? Yeah, we definitely, we were noticing that there was kids who would, you know, show up to the next gig and the next gig and they were, uh, you know, buying our t-shirts. So we were like, we've got a few songs. We should definitely record them because that's going to help us get into the bigger cities with the real, you know, competitive, so to speak, you know, everyone says local scenes shouldn't be competitive, but they are super competitive. Mm. Um, the, so like, that's how we were, that was our plan to get into Edmonton and Calgary and stuff was have an EP, send it to these guys who throw shows and maybe we can open a show or something. And, and that, that was basically how we did uh, get into the Edmonton scene, which was awesome. And then uh, with the EP, you know, the um, iTunes store was still a lot more um, genuine than it is now. You know, now the iTunes charts is all based off streaming um back then i think we charted in the top five uh canadian music or metal music sales just with our ep and we were just like what is going on um you know not for long for maybe a day but just for us to be like whoa that's our ep on the itunes charts right now was just like another big fan on our flame we were like moments like that where you feel that excited about your music is like it's hard to capture that. It's also, I mean, you guys from the offset, clearly anyone that has paid attention to you guys, you guys also have that work ethic that I think some bands don't, and I'm not dismissing them or denying them their credibility, but they don't really have it. You guys have this work ethic and this grind where um, you, you know that you need to keep working at it. You know you need to keep moving. You know, you get one little spot well that's not enough you know like you said you you get this bit on itunes well that motivates you to go work harder to get the next step is that something that's just naturally how you guys have been from the offset or do you know that you have to work hard to get to where you want to be yeah it was always just uh, just realizing that no one's going to do it for you i guess you know we we were like ready to go we had a vehicle that could fit our gear we had the record cut now we were like okay now we need to get you know the attention of these of these promoters and stuff and it was like that was probably after about a year of being in a band where we were like yeah this is how like this is working this this is what we need to keep doing and keep building on this and it definitely has uh, shown that that was the way to go. I mean, a lot of, and I, I still see it, a lot of bands, um, more so in the Edmonton scene now, that are just putting in a ton of work, and it's awesome. It's like they're, you know, 
making a name for themselves. And it's, uh, seems to be getting harder and harder to do that with the internet kind of just taking everyone's attention. Well, it's also, you know, I think you guys show that, you know, you have to work to get what you want. Not everything is going to fall in your lap. So if you want to play more shows, you do have to try and network, you know, you have to take gig offers that maybe, maybe at the time don't seem like the best, but it's another opportunity to get your faces out there. Um, it's also in the early stages of a band about learning your lessons, you know, whether they're good lessons or bad lessons. Were there um, any moments of kind of things that you guys tried like, and it didn't work for you, whether that was through merchandising or whatever it was like, were there early lessons that you now look back on and go, thank God we learned that lesson. Uh, we tried once to book our own show in a different city without any bands from that city on the bill. That was a huge mistake. We played to uh, our friend's band that we, yeah, it was just two of our friends' different bands. It was three bands in total, none of them from Edmonton. We all thought it was just brilliant. We were like, yeah, let's go play a show. And it was like our first time playing that city, so we literally had no fans. We played to the other bands and Brendan's uncle. <laughs> and we were like, damn. <laughs> so it's like, even now, if we're playing some of these other cities, it's like, yo, let's get their most hype local band to even headline the show right now. Like, we don't give a shit. But because cause that just is a proven method that people are going to show up and stay till the end of the night. You Like, even later on, we we'd be like, all right, let's try headlining. And it's like, you know, you, you do have your fan base there, but it's like, wow, they really, they really love that local band that finished before us. You know, it's weird, but it's uh, that, that, that's like the best lesson that you can learn. I think if you're trying to get out there, it's just always let the local band headline the show. <laughs> it is. That's smart. Like, I don't think some people listening mightn't understand that, but you go to a different city or town, you get that band to headline People will hang around. If you have them before you as the headliner, people will turn out to watch them, and then the room's going to look empty when you finally get on stage. Yeah, totally. It's just the way it goes. Yeah, it's crazy. But that's also uh, the best part about our current spot in the scene is people stay. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> It's 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 great to see the evolution of the band and a big step for you guys in your evolution was Shadows in 2014. Um, what were your expectations collectively coming into that album? Because that album sounds really mature for a band at your stage of your career. So what were you aiming and expecting when you went in to write and record it? We learned a lot recording that thing because most of it we did ourselves. Uh, we had another producer in town uh, kind of guide us through it and tracked a lot of the, uh, the drums and he, you know, mixed it and uh, engineered it. But a lot of just the recording of the tracks, especially the vocals was uh, just me and Ty with a mic in a closet, just getting it done. And that was just awesome. Just, Oh, let's try this idea. Let's do this. Or, um, and we learned a lot about what it takes to see a project through to the end and, and release it all on your own. It, it felt really good. And then 
you know, the, the uh, CD release show that we put on for that record was like our biggest show in our hometown up to that point too, which just felt like another massive win. And so then that was just kind of like, all right, we've already achieved what we wanted, which was the next step for the band the day we put the record out. So at that point we were like, let's just keep it going. Let's see how far we can take it. And we wrote that album for a really, really long time. <laughs> yeah. Five years, really like four to five years. Mm-hmm. To be fair, we, um, we did plan on having something out in 2016, but we'll probably get to that. So, well, we'll get to that in a sec then. Yeah. So, you know, shadows comes out, um, you know, you're hitting more benchmarks. Uh, you mentioned in there as well that it was self-released, you know, without forwarding too much, but was it always going to be self-released? Were you looking and trying to get assistance with the, you know, marketing distribution label side of things? Not really. We didn't shop that much. Um, I think we got in touch then with Asher Media in Canada uh, to help promote it. And that was about it. We were totally just comfortable with putting it out. And then, you know, if it caught a label's attention after the fact, that was good enough for us, for sure. And how, you know, you mentioned 2016. So what's going on for the band after it releases? Is it just on the grind playing as many shows as possible uh, where was the process from the release to what happened in 2016 with trying to release an album? Uh, so 2014, uh, we put out the album. We did our first tour, which was the 10-day the run in Canada, <clears throat> the one where I lost my voice, uh, which was just great. <laughs> and then I think we laid low for... Oh no, after the tour we played the album release show. So the album we were selling while we were on tour, but then we released it officially um, the day of the hometown show, which was after the tour. And then I think we laid low for a bit, played some Edmonton shows the next spring, um, actually all over Western Canada again. We The second half, Okay, second half of 2014, we put out the album, did those, the tour, the hometown show. First half of 2015, we did a ton of Weekend Warriors, which is basically the best way to tour without playing uh, a Monday in a town of a thousand people to the bar staff. Basically, we would try and branch out to major cities um, from like a Thursday to Sunday time period and and then do that like once a month kind of thing is how we mostly toured shadows, um, which was great. We definitely made the most connections and, and uh, kind of got in a groove that way. Uh, then 2015 kind of came to a close and we got in touch towards the end of 2015 with uh, Jason Sukoff at Audio Hammer. Um, we got in touch with him about recording a EP or a demo of sorts um, with the intention of releasing it ourselves later on in 2016. Uh, so we did a show called the EP Fundraiser Show, which was 
again, our most successful show in our hometown to date up to that point. So we just felt amazing about that. Uh, we literally took all the money from the ticket sales and put it towards going down to Florida and, and went down and Jason booked us for, uh, for a couple weeks in March of 2016. And we went down and, and, uh, recorded three songs, which, uh, one of them eventually made the album. The other two might be, uh, on the special edition B sides or something, you know, down the road. Um, <clears throat> but that's kind of when the label got involved and said, Hey, this is cool. Maybe if they'd want to show us another demo or two, we maybe want to sign these guys. So we were like, okay, let's not put out this EP. Let's go back to Florida and convince this label to sign us basically. Mm -hmm. So we had like another tour lined up to support the EP. We were totally going to go gung ho with it until we got this bite from nuclear blast. And we were like, Holy shit. Like there's no guarantee, but we need to see if we can do this right now. So we didn't put out an EP. We went back and uh, recorded the horror witness. And uh, what was the third one from that? That Oh, uh, the endless was the three songs that we did on our second trip down, which I think were like all the singles for the record. So uh, needless to say, it did the trick. And what's that? I mean, I mean, if you can sum it up in words, but what's that got to feel like, you know, it's not, just not underestimating it, but when Nuclear Blast are coming for you and interested in you, wow. I mean, that is one of the top dogs in the label game. Yeah, it was, like, unbelievable. It was like, well, to be honest, <laughs> I didn't recognize Monty Connor by name. So I was like, <laughs> Jason sent me a screenshot, and I was like, oh, that's really cool, man. And he's like, you don't know who that is, do you? <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, Nuclear Blast was, was good enough for me, man. That was like, wow. Like, okay, this is definitely still, like, we, we seem to still be doing the right thing. And then uh, that just basically gave us all the confidence we needed to take that gamble and go back down and uh, record that second set of demos that got us signed. Was there a sense of pressure and expectation and nerves, though, when you go back to do another three songs? I mean, were you overthinking and overanalyzing? Were these three songs the right three songs? Because you really don't want to mess this up. Like, for, if, if someone said to me, you have to get three songs to get signed to Nuclear Blast, I'd be shitting bricks. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't overthink it. And Jason's really... he can He can read if you're, like nervous about something and he's just like constantly like hey man it's chill like this chorus is banging like this riff is heavy man like and then he had his uh his buddy sean glass on the line constantly with us too um who ended up uh becoming our manager and sean was just kind of his go-to reference for uh for like mixes and and just you know good confidant for uh giving feedback so he would be like, yo, Sean, check this out. And Sean would be like, man, that's so sick. So with all that feedback, it was kind of like, I don't think they were blowing smoke or anything. So we were like, okay, this must be really sick. And, and 
obviously there was a lot of like a lot of hype just being there the songs were sounding great um the room was like holy ground i was like yo where did the black dahlia murder where did where did they track vocals in this room he's like oh uh right where you're standing i was like sweet let's do this (laughs) (laughs) so it was just like the vibe was just right and uh we were able to harness some really good vocal takes for that uh for that session so i mean that's around you know you said that's around 2016 ish so there's still a couple of years before the album comes out so what happens in that period after you know you send them the second lot of demos what's then happening within the band and with the label uh well we basically if i remember correctly once the uh once the mixes and mastering was done for the second set of demos it got sent to the label and then it was like time stopped and we were like just in limbo for, I don't know, maybe three months before we just out of nowhere contract in the email. <laughs> so we were like, all right, bingo. And uh, we put out the horror as our first uh, single and our signing announcement. And then I think we hit the studio at the end of 2017. And we were able to get the the drums and the guitars done by, I think, the end of February. Uh, and then some life stuff just kind of happened. Uh, personal stuff, I guess, kind of got in the way for a bit. Um, but we were able to do the vocals in, like, May of 2018. Hmm. Um, and then... Think the album was uh, mixed and mastered at about August of 2018. Okay, so then it then wasn't too long until it was released. So you you get the album done and you get it out. And how was it received for you guys? What did you notice happen with the release? Like, obviously, without skipping into live shows, you can see you guys now are doing some phenomenal touring and shows with bands like Soulfly, Skin Lab, uh, In Flames, things like this. But what was the reception for you guys with the album upon release? Upon release, it was just kind of, uh, I mean, incredibly exciting. Um, Keeping track of all the feedback on social media and stuff was really exciting. Uh, A lot of it was positive. I was doing a lot of interviews and... Uh, there was a lot of positivity on that end. A lot of good reviews were coming in. Uh, reviews from, you know, like Metal Hammer, sources that we were, you know, really fond of uh, saying good things about the record. So we were pretty stoked about it. Uh, we played a couple of kind of Weekend Warrior-esque shows in Western Canada to just kind of get the record out. Uh, unfortunately we had a tour fall through for immediately after the release. That was kind of going to be our first North American tour. Uh, it would have been pretty sick, but that tour didn't even happen. Like the headliner, uh, like that, that whole thing just did not happen. So we were just kind of like, okay, 
let's get on a tour as fast as we can. And uh, we were able to book with, uh, with Soulfly. And, well, I guess Skin Lab was uh, our first time in the States, which uh, back to, like, it was back to back with the uh, Soulfly tour, which was a lot of fun. And what's it been like reception-wise in a live setting for for you guys? You know, um, uh, are you finding that you have to kind of fight to win over the crowd every night, or are you finding that kind of people are coming in knowing who you are already? With the uh, Soulfly, it was a little bit more difficult. It was like a bit of an older crowd and we were first time in the States, you know, so it was, uh, a little bit more difficult on the soul flight tour, uh, which was fun for us. We were like, you know, people at the front with their arms crossed, they'd get the, they'd get the close up treatment type stuff, you know, just having fun with it. And, uh, and then on the inflames tour, it was like a whole nother level of reception. Like as soon as we would, kick off we'd have just crazy crowd energy and mosh pits for the whole set like 95 percent of the shows were just unreal like the energy was crazy in flames fans are like just i think they're all 10 out of 10 people every single one of them and they came out and uh showed us a good time for sure <laughs> like yeah those shows were nuts um uh, and a lot of uh, repeat offenders as well. A lot of people showing up in our shirts in cities that we had played previously, which was crazy. Like this guy just out of nowhere. It's like, yo, I was at your show in San Diego with Skin and I was at your show in San Diego with Soulfly. And we're like, what? <laughs> it, it's that, uh... that stuff. And like people, uh, people like singing your lyrics, like the whole set. Like he didn't just know the one song. He knew the whole set. Like, that shit's crazy. So I mean, you 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 look at how 2019 went. Very successful, you know, year. Getting the getting the album out on the label, the touring, the shows, the momentum's really gaining quite a lot at the moment. So what's what's on 2020's horizon for you guys as a band? Well, right now we are at home in between tours, so we're demoing new music. Uh, basically, uh, Ryan and Brendan have been cooking up more jams. Ryan likes to bring his demo equipment on tour, so like all all tour long, he's just writing more and more music, and we would like review it all in the van together, which was a, a really great way to. Uh, stay busy creatively while you're just grinding out shows. And now we've got a nice, uh, demoing setup at my house and we're, uh, just coming up with, uh, some new music. And then I think, uh, we're hitting the road in May, which is not announced yet. Hmm. I mean, do you guys find yeah. you guys, you know, you're saying there about demoing. Do you find now with the current landscape with streaming that there is a pressure to, make sure you are churning out music as often as possible. You know, now with the name and the touring and the album that's been out on Nuclear Blast, you probably definitely don't want to take four to five years for the next one. 
that's exactly it. Now we're looking at bands like uh, the Black Dahlia Murder, who just like clockwork every two years are have put out a record for like their entire career. And it's like, okay, that's obviously the way to do it. So we want this record out, you know, um, no later than early 2021, really. What about with um, styles and writing that you guys do? Because you kind of, the way the music sounds is you can't really pigeonhole it in one genre. It kind of crosses quite a few genres. So what about writing for the next one? Is there, is there a sense of you want to stick with what you do or do you want to change things up again? Like where are you guys going when you write new music? I think our main goal is just to keep it heavy and melodic. Right now, the song me and Ryan are doing demos uh, for the vocals on. It's like something completely different from anything we've ever done, uh, which is cool. It's it's a it's a fun challenge and it's a pretty heavy track, so it's gonna be gonna be pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a different vibe with the new demos, uh, but we're still, uh, you know, have to keep it heavy. That's just. To be on stage and not be playing heavy music, I that's not the plan. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to keep it really heavy. <laughs> um, what about for a band for you, like you guys, um, how do you find the way the industry is now with streaming and physical copies? Do you find that um, you have to work harder to make a buck as a band or do you think that the way the industry is going with streaming and everything, that more power is in your hands? Yeah, I, I, it's definitely not dire. Like with streaming, you can see your your uh, status and your statistics uh, really easily, so you kind of know where you're at in that regard. And then, you know, we were selling, uh, you know, lots of records on tour, which for us was like, okay, people still want physical copies, even if they just put it on their shelf and stream it afterwards, which is just kind of better you know if they bought the record and then still stream it that's like better than just buying it so it's great yeah the future is friendly for uh hard-working bands i think what about i mean do you have um any tips or what or what do you think helps a band like yourselves break out from the local scene and then not only how do you break out how do you stand out and above the rest of the local scene I think one of the major keys is having a professional recording, uh, you know, whether it's a single, whatever you can, whatever you can afford to get done, just get one professional recording out there and write the hell out of whatever song you choose to record that way. And, uh, just play a lot of shows and that's the best way to get, to get people's attention, I think. And how do you how do you stay motivated to keep doing it? You know, because being on the road isn't easy, um, and you know, putting all your time and effort into one thing like music isn't easy. So, how do you stay motivated to keep doing it and keep striving for it? Uh, you know, snowballing off of our previous victories and successes is definitely major for that. And then, I mean, that's just 
good motivation for making music. And then as far as touring, I mean, this last in flames tour was eight weeks long. And honestly, I could have done it for another eight. Like it was just nuts. It was like every day we would show up at this new venue and know that it was going to be one of the best shows of our lives that night. And everyone on the tour was just the best, super friendly we felt, you know, really like we belonged there and it was just a crazy experience. So, I mean, there's definitely lows on tour. We've had some of the worst times of our lives on tour. We had, we had a three day stretch where we had a van window smashed. All our personal belongings were in the venue because that's how we roll. So, I mean, it was just filled paying for a window sucks. Uh, the next day, we drove through a crazy like rainstorm with flooding in the middle of the Arizona desert with no window, just cardboard, hoping it would hold through that rain. Uh, the next morning, our air conditioning unit in the van blew up in Phoenix in 40 degrees Celsius. And we didn't have time to deal with that because we had to be in Dallas, Texas, um, man the next yeah the next day uh and we had to go through el paso for uh visa paperwork because we were starting a second tour and um just the way that shit worked out was kind of a bummer <laughs> so we were driving for about 24 hours straight from phoenix to dallas with no air conditioning and no van window and that was that was the worst three days of our lives, I think. <laughs> it, 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 it's also not easy, obviously. You know, did was it easy for you to adjust to being stuck in a van with the same people continuously for eight weeks on the end on end, or was it something that uh, you've kind of learned to adjust with? Because it's not only being with the same people, but you're cramped into an environment. You're not eating properly. You're probably not really sleeping. Uh, you're not uh, having a shower as often as you probably want. And also, to top it all off, you're missing things at home like family, friends, life events. Yeah, missing home is definitely the the hardest thing. Uh, finding showers is the second hardest thing. Um, but, I mean, I guess we all kind of knew what we were getting into. So, just casually, like during the Inflames tour when it was... Uh, you know, decent weather outside. We weren't cooking. We kind of froze a couple nights, but it was comfortable. Uh, the tour was just 10 out of 10, and we were all getting along fantastic. So, I mean, casual, like, if that's the standard casual life in a van, it's fantastic. It's, it's really good. If, if, you, if you know what you're getting into and you're ready for that and you make the best of it, it's, it's really not that bad. Um, now last question before we look to, you know, wrap up with the last segment that I do. And it's one that we spoke at the start about kind of the goals you guys had when you started out, um, in the early years, uh, comparing them to now, what are, what are your goals now, uh, for you and for the band, uh, going forward? For me now, just, I guess 
right now I've seemed to have found a really good balance between home life and, uh, touring. And I hope I can just keep that up and, and keep the ball rolling with the band so we can, uh, get to the point where, uh, touring supports basically us more on the financial side of things where we can work less at home and tour more and, uh, just keep putting out great music, keep hitting the road and, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. We worked really hard to get here, and so I, I think it's been well worth it, and it's gonna keep continuing to be worth pursuing. So mm. it's uh, yeah, it's just it's gonna be an exciting uh, it's gonna be an exciting couple of years here. Just you know, going up to the next album release and and seeing how much momentum we can build. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Um, I'm excited to see where it goes as well, man. Um. Now, what we're going to do, we finish off with the same thing for everyone, and it's called Pick Your Poison. What we do here is I'm going to find what makes you tick. So I'm going to give you two options, and you pick your favorite of the two. Oh, okay. Now, pizza or burger? Burger, for sure. Soft taco or hard taco? I'm a soft man, like a soft taco. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? I've been wishy-washy, but I'm set on smooth peanut butter now. Okay. It's just nice. Uh, Coffee or tea? Coffee, big coffee drinker, for sure. Cook at home or dine out? Uh, you know, if we're talking about just getting the best food possible, dining out always. Uh, but cooking home is uh, kind of satisfying when you nail it. So, let's, yeah, cooking at home. It's nice. Uh, you want to see a movie. Do you want to watch it at the cinema or at home on the couch? At home on the couch, unless it's something I'm looking forward to. Uh, but at home on the couch, like ninety percent of the time. Now the next one's going to be an interesting one because of where you are. Do you prefer the beach or the snow? <laughs> Honestly, I think the beach is overrated. Um, California is like the best place on earth for sure, but I could do without chilling at the beach. And um, I love. Uh, I, I grew up snowmobiling and skiing and that was always a lot of fun so i as much as i've hated winters where i live i gotta go for snow cat or dog cat for sure uh terminator or predator hmm terminator Mm, okay uh star wars or star trek star wars uh rambo or rocky Rocky. Those movies were sick when I was a kid. They're uh, probably still sick, but I don't care anymore. <laughs> James Bond or Jason Bourne? Uh, James Bond. Daniel Craig. All the way. South Park or Simpsons? South Park, big time. Um, me and my wife had both never seen that show, and one winter we were just we got this Canadian streaming service and binged the whole thing, and it changed our lives. <laughs> Always South Park. Um, Slayer or Pantera? Pantera. 
Uh, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Black Dahlia Murder. Oh, yeah. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica, for sure. Last few. You're playing a show. Do you want to see stage dives or mic grabs? Ah, stage dives, for sure. You go to a show. Do you watch it from the mosh pit or up the back? I'm a back of the venue guy these days. My moshing days are behind me. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? Now, I know you need one to go with the other, but you can only do one. Ah, touring, for sure. Uh, last one. You are getting your favorite album. Do you, want it on al- um, do you want it on CD, vinyl, or download? I'd still go CD. I've got a computer with a disc reader. I can burn it onto my phone still. Yeah, CD. And we have smashed it. Bang. Thank you, oh, brother. Awesome. Thank you very, very, very much. I really, really appreciate this. Um, means a lot and really valuable to me and the show. So stoked we got to get it done. Dude, me too. I love listening to uh, long-form interviews, and this is my first one. So thank you so much, man. All right, ciao, brother. Talk to you later.
So that was my chat with Jameson of Arrival of Autumn. And at the end there, you heard the band's tracks Witness, Endless, and the final track you heard was Old Bones, New Blood. All of those come off their major label debut album, which is called Harbringer. Now's the part of the show where I spark that little thing inside you to get online and support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed that conversation or you enjoyed the music at the end there, make sure you get online, stream, download, listen to this band's great music. If you're into physicals, get onto eBay, get onto the band's website and grab yourself a physical copy. If you're into merch, Help them out, buy a shirt, buy a hoodie, buy a hat, whatever it is, help them out, buy some merch. And lastly, if you live somewhere and this band is playing on a show, get out, make sure you show the guys some support and get into the pit. I've also got to take this moment to thank Jameson again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to touching base with you again soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 106 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that We need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.